You're listening to Vatican Radio. In this week's edition of Gospel Truth, the late Jill Bevilacqua and Sean Patrick Lovett bring us readings and reflections from the Gospel of St. John, chapter 1, verses 35 to 42, for the second Sunday of Ordinary Time. John was in Bethany across the Jordan with two of his disciples. As he watched Jesus walk by, he said, Look, there is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned around and noticed them following him, he asked them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where do you stay? Come and see, he answered. So they went to see where he was lodged and stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. One of the two who had followed him after hearing John was Simon Peter's brother Andrew. The first thing he did was seek out his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, which means the anointed. He brought him to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. Your name shall be Kephas, which is rendered Peter. While the Sunday Gospels in the B cycle are mostly taken from Mark, in all three years, the Gospels for the second Sunday in Ordinary Time are taken from John. Each, we're told, echoes the Feast of Epiphany. Here, our Lord is once again made manifest, pointed out by the Baptist as he walks by. Not by chance, surely, for it happens twice, and on the second occasion, the two disciples who are standing there with John in Bethany across the Jordan, have no hesitation, but without more ado, leave the Baptist and follow Jesus. Our Lord has only recently come down from the Mount of Temptation, the high hill, or low mountain, just north of Jericho, where tradition has placed his forty days fast and temptation by the devil. Why does he return to John the Baptist? He doesn't speak to him, as far as we know. But John, seeing him, immediately exclaims, Look, there is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The Agnus Dei is a point of the Mass at which the most distracted begin to concentrate their attention, wrote Frank Sheed not long before the Second Vatican Council introduced the vernacular and revised the liturgy. To such an extent that today's congregations, or rather assemblies, can hardly help participating in the celebration of the Eucharist, instead of drowsing over their missals, as so often happened in the old days, until the tinkle of the acolyte's bell recalled them to the reality of where they were. In the old Roman missal, under the heading Agnus Dei, we read, With bowed head and striking his breast, the priest implores pardon for his sins, making use of the words by which St. John the Baptist announced the Messiah. After the Vatican Council, the Missal was revised, and this instruction was given. During the breaking of bread and the co-mingling, when the priest drops a part of the host into the chalice, the invocation, Lamb of God, is usually sung by the choir or the cantor, with the people responding. If it is not sung, it should be said aloud. And this, in fact, is what takes place today. We all together beg for pardon and peace. 
but it's not until the communion that the priest uses John's exact words as he raises the host. But no, not exactly, for as she'd commented all those years ago, If we are listening to what is actually said, there is one difference between what the priest says at the altar and what John said by the Jordan. The priest speaks of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John said, sin. The difference is only one of emphasis, the writer explains, but it's worth looking at that difference. The sins of the world are a reminder that Christ our Lord will offer his redeeming sacrifice for all the sins that men have committed in this world. But what John actually said reminds us that there is a sin of the world, which involves the whole human race, the sin of the first representative man, who made a breach between the human race and God. The angel had told Joseph that Mary's son would save his people from their sins. John the Baptist is saying that he will redeem the whole race from the sin in which it had lain since the catastrophe of Adam, and for the first time it is clearly uttered that he will do so by suffering and dying. Clearly uttered for those who knew their scriptures, as John's disciples did. The image of Lamb of God is an allusion to the suffering servant of the Lord spoken of in Isaiah. And yet ours were the sufferings he bore, ours the sorrows he carried. But we, we thought of him as someone punished, struck by God and brought low. Yet he was pierced through for our faults, crushed for our sins. On him lies a punishment that brings us peace, and through his wounds we are healed. We had all gone astray like sheep, each taking his own way, and Yahweh burdened him with the sins of all of us. Harshly dealt with, he bore it humbly, he never opened his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughterhouse, like a sheep that is dumb before its shearers, never opening its mouth. His soul's anguish over, he shall see the light and be content. By his sufferings shall my servant justify many, taking their faults on himself. Hence I will grant whole hordes for his tribute. He shall divide the spoil with the mighty, for surrendering himself to death and letting himself be taken for a sinner, while he was bearing the faults of many and praying all the time for sinners. The reference to the Lamb of God would also have brought to mind the Paschal Lamb of Exodus, the Lamb which the Israelites sacrificed every year at the Passover in memory of their liberation from Egypt. And thirdly, the disciples would have thought of the daily sacrifices in the temple, offered in accordance with the instructions in the Book of Numbers. These are the burnt offerings you must offer to Yahweh. Every day, two yearling lambs without blemish as a perpetual holocaust. The first lamb you must offer in the morning, the second between the two evenings, together with an oblation of one-tenth of an ephah of the fine flour, mixed with one quarter of a hind of purest oil. This is the perpetual holocaust made long ago at Mount Sinai as an appeasing fragrance, a burnt offering to Yahweh. The daily burnt offering was made to atone for the people's sins against the Lord. The burning symbolized the nation's desire to rid itself of these sinful acts against God. The fire on the altar of burnt offerings was never allowed to go out, but was kept alight day and night. 
H.V. Morton paints a vivid picture of the early morning ritual. The priests who were selected to offer the daily morning sacrifice slept in a room in the inner court. In the third watch, while it was still dark, they would awaken and take a ceremonial bath to be in readiness for the casting of the lots. An official would come to them, still in the hours of darkness, and cast lots to decide on the priest who would remove the ash from the altar of burnt offering. This man, alone and with no light but that of the altar flames, would go out and wash his hands and feet in the brazen laver that stood before the altar. He did this by placing the right hand on the left foot and the left hand on the right foot. He then mounted the huge altar of unhone stone with a silver chafing dish in his hand, into which he swept the ashes. And as he descended, he would see in the renewed glow of firelight the other priests ascending with shovels and prongs to place fresh wood on the flames. Then came the second casting. The president would range the priests before him and cast lots to decide who was to slaughter the victim, who was to sprinkle blood on the altar, who was to remove ashes from the altar of incense, who was to trim the lamps on the seven-branched candlestick, who was to carry the head of the sacrifice and the hind leg, who the two forelegs, who the tail and the other hind leg, who the offering of flour, who the baked meat offering of the high priest, who the wine and the drink offering. After this complicated procedure, the next thing was to watch for the first hint of sunrise. One of the priests would climb to a pinnacle of the temple and gaze towards the east, while the others waited below. When he called down, the morning shines already, they would ask him, Is the sky lit up as far as Hebron? And only when he had agreed would the daily sacrifice begin. And what about the lamb? Well, that had been living for four days in a special room in the temple and had already been examined for possible blemishes. Now it was examined again by the light of torches and it was given a drink from a golden bowl. H. V. Morton recounts. Ninety-three sacred utensils were brought from a room nearby and the lamb was led to the altar. The forefeet and hind feet of each side were tied together and the head was placed through a ring in the ground, the face turned to the west. At this moment, as the first light of a new day began to pulse upward from behind the Mount of Olives, the signal was given to open the temple gate. As the gate moved, the priests lifted silver trumpets and uttered the three shrill calls that announced every morning to Jerusalem that the sacrifice was ready to be slain. And let's leave them at this moment in the daily ritual, which was to be superseded by a sacrifice of a very different kind, offered once and for all for our redemption. The image of the Lamb, always used of Jesus, is meant, scholars tell us, to express his patience in suffering, his innocence and the redemptive force of his sacrifice. There are few more captivating creatures than lambs, and in springtime to see them gambling in the fields is always a sight to rejoice one. And the sheer trustfulness of these animals comes out in these lines from a poem by John Clare, who tells how a little lamb bolts up behind the hill and wags his tail to meet the ewe, and then another, sheltered from the wind, lies all his length as dead and lets me go close by 
and never stirs, but basking lies, with legs stretched out as though he could not rise. I remember seeing a lamb doing just this one Easter when I was walking in the English Lake District, and I still have the snapshot to remind me. And now here's a gentle poem by Ruth Pitter, entitled Herding Lambs. In the spring, in the morning, we heard the high bleat and the low voice of the ewes and the rain-like rustle of feet. In the daffodil day, my sister called to me and out to the garden gate we went to see. No dogs, no sticks, no shouting, no noise. Only the rustle, the bleating, the chirping boys. Slowly they moved along herded by three old grey men and five children to the fresh lee. And when a silly lamb turned back in fright, a withered or an infant hand guided him right. The early mist muffled their sound, muted that double chime, trembling along the grassy ground from the morning of time. Somehow it seems that no other image than that of the lamb could have been right, would have been possible for the sacrificial victim, Christ, than this lovable, most vulnerable creature. But when those two young men left John, their teacher, for Jesus, what were they expecting? And when Andrew told his brother Peter, we have found the Messiah, how did Peter react? As for being told his name was to be changed... In the Gospel of John, however, there's no doubt in their minds about who the new rabbi is. In the other Gospels, it's the climax of our Lord's ministry in Galilee. In John's, the disciples recognise Jesus as Messiah from the beginning. And now to close, let's turn to the triumphal vision of the Lamb in John's book of Revelation. Then I saw, standing between the throne with its four animals and the circle of the elders, a lamb that seemed to have been sacrificed. It had seven horns and it had seven eyes, which are the seven spirits God has sent out all over the world. The lamb came forward to take the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took it, the four animals prostrated themselves before him, and with them the twenty-four elders, each one of them, was holding a harp and had a golden bowl full of incense made of the prayers of the saints. They sang a new hymn, You are worthy to take the scroll and break the seals of it, because you were sacrificed, and with your blood you bought men for God, of every race, language, people, and nation, and made them a line of kings and priests to serve our God and to rule the world. In my vision, I heard the sound of an immense number of angels gathered round the throne and the animals and the elders, there were ten thousand times ten thousand of them, and thousands upon thousands, shouting, The Lamb that was sacrificed is worthy to be given power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. Then I heard all the living things in creation, 
everything that lives in the air and on the ground and under the ground and in the sea, crying, To the one who is sitting on the throne and to the Lamb be all praise, honor, glory and power forever and ever. And the four animals said, Amen. And the elders prostrated themselves to worship. <laughs> 